is depression funny? Completely. It's hilarious. Um, yeah, I think it has to be. Because, uh, well, in, in my mind, like, if depression isn't funny, it will consume me. Uh, I think it can be, but I think everything can be funny at some point, right? I think I so, I knew too. that question was coming, too. <laughs> It's the hilarious world of depression, placebo edition. I'm John Moe. We're working on our next season of the show, which is a big task. But we also know that we've reached a whole lot of people with our first season And we want to stay in touch, keep the conversation going about depression, mental illness, stigma, and also we want to have some laughs. Again, not to minimize the severity of depression, but to laugh in spite of it, to prove we're human and we're strong and because laughing feels good. So, placebos, some little sugar pills of episodes to help everyone get by. And I've heard from so many listeners of the show with so many eloquent, emotional, and funny things to say that I thought we could step away from the professional comics and talk to some listeners of the program about their own experiences with depression. We'll start with Danielle. Hello, my name is Danielle Hayden, and I live in Akron, Ohio. Danielle says she had a really busy 2016, a lot of stress, a lot of worry. January of 2017 came along, and her hectic pace slowed down. But the depression that had been nagging her did not. And I was still feeling pretty miserable and feeling low and thinking about killing myself. And I kept crying at work for no reason. And one day I was sitting at my desk just crying not to let anybody see me cry and thinking that it was just time to end it. And I thought, well, wait, I can't do that. I have tickets to see Billy Joel in July. Why would I kill myself? And uh, that was that. Billy Joel kept me from killing myself. Billy Joel. Between Danielle and a fatally bad decision, the piano man. Playing live at the baseball stadium in Cleveland this summer. So Danielle must be like the world's biggest Billy Joel fan, right? I like his music. I have his box set greatest hits, but I, that, that's like the extent of what I have. But I do enjoy his music, and I've heard he puts on a really good show. Yeah, to Danielle, Billy Joel's pretty good, but good enough to not die. And I have some friends coming in from out of town, and it's kind of a big deal. So that might have played part of it as well. So the the human contact uh, aspect was enough to overcome the fact that you think Billy Joel is just sort of okay. <laughs> yes. Well, I was very excited to hear he was coming to concerts. So I guess maybe I'm a bigger fan than I realize. I should perhaps support him more financially than I have. It kind of gives new meaning to the song, My Life. Exactly. And only the good die young. Yes, I was thinking about that, too, because I'm 41. I'm past that, so. (laughs) And keeping the faith. (laughs) Yes. And every Billy Joel song I can think of. Allentown, maybe not so much, (laughs) although you're not far from Allentown. I'm in Ohio. This is true. Very true. I've never been. Uh, I don't know how we didn't start the fire figures into there either. (laughs) Well, there's the line about, I can't take it anymore. Yes, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) That's in there. I go to extremes. So (laughs) 
<laughs> we could spend a long time doing this. <laughs> it's kind of eerie. It's kind of eerie. You could get a prescription for Billy Joel box sets. Um, but wait a sec. How did Danielle go from holding on to life with Billy Joel tickets in January to laughing with me about that fact a couple months later? I did end up talking to my my doctor. I actually had a physical with her very shortly after that, and we, I ended up telling her about how I was feeling. And so she put me on some medication, and I'm going through talk therapy as well now, and I'm getting help. Okay, now I, I don't want to worry too much here, but you know, the, the Billy Joel concert's going to come and go. Are you going to be okay when that's over? I hope so. I, that's part of the, the medication and the, the therapy. Hopefully that'll... I guess I'll just have to keep going to concerts. I'll just uh, I'll just plan them like six months out. So it, it you know yeah. every half a year I go to a show and I don't know who the next one would be though. I I, I was thinking Bruce Springsteen. That's I a knew good U2 show. Two was coming. Queen is coming with Adam Lambert. Not yep. quite the same. Yeah. So you know there's some out there. Like I always say, everyone needs to find what works for them to start feeling better, even if Billy Joel's part of it. Maybe psychiatrists should do like a joint marketing thing with Ticketmaster. I'm just brainstorming. Okay. Um, my name is Bree Traquere, and I am from St. Paul, Minnesota. And Bree, you wrote in about uh, somebody you know who has accompanied you on your journey. Tell us about this person. <laughs> Um, yes, uh, this guy's name is Steve, and he came into my life um, after about six years of um, treatment for depression, anxiety, and finally this new uh, diagnosis of OCD, which I think completed the trifecta of mental illness. Um, but he, he was an idea that came about when I didn't want to take another medication to treat my OCD. And I asked if there was if there was an alternative form of treatment, and my psychiatrist suggested that I um, separate my intrusive thoughts and personify them so that it's easier for me to um, address them and ignore them if I need to. And you named these thoughts Steve. I, na I named I named these thoughts Steve. Okay, jumping in here. You got that? Steve is not a flesh and blood person. Steve is an imagined personification of intrusive thoughts. Thoughts gathered together, mentally formed into a guy named Steve. First yes. of all, why Steve? Why that name? <laughs> it just it just felt like a very um, annoying name to me. And I'm sorry if there are any Steves <laughs> who hear that. <laughs> um but yeah, it just was like, ugh, Steve. Like, that's the name I think of. So then how does Steve factor into your life? How do you interact with Steve? Um, so uh, before Steve, I would have these, these thoughts where um, they, uh, for instance, I would be in a mall and I would think to myself, you know, what if, what if you went to the third floor and you just jumped off the balcony? And I would get freaked out about these thoughts because I thought, you know, if, if they're in my head, then I might actually do them. Um, and when Steve came into the picture, I was able to assign those thoughts to him instead. So when I'm at the mall and I hear, what if you went to the third floor and jumped off? It's not me who's thinking that, it's Steve. And I can just say, Steve, that's a ridiculous, horrible idea. 
I don't know why anyone would do that. You, you need to go somewhere else. Do you talk to Steve out loud? Do you say, do you stop in the middle of the mall and argue with Steve <laughs> out loud? I, um, I try to keep Steve inside my head um, just to not make people around me uncomfortable. Sure. Um, but I do, have, I do have a lot of friends who know about Steve. Um, so I would, um, there are occasions where I'll stop walking and just kind of look like I'm concentrating on something and a friend will go, Oh, Steve, like, (laughs) 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 yep, yep. Just a second. Need to deal with this guy. (laughs) (laughs) But it sounds like you kind of like Steve sounds like a jerk, but you kind of need to keep him around anyway. Yes, exactly. It's like, I never invite him anywhere. But he's always there, and it turns out to be, like, he gets the focus of the, like, all the negative energy, uh-huh. and I can just be more myself. Yeah, yeah. Bree's doing fine. Steve, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's the guy you got to watch out for. <laughs> Bree sent me a picture of an approximation of Steve. It's actor Steve Buscemi when he was on the show 30 Rock, playing a private investigator trying to blend in at a high school. Backwards baseball cap, holding a skateboard, looking 50 years old, not blending in. I was part of a special task force of very young-looking cops who infiltrated high schools. How do you do, fellow kids? What? Um, my name is Annie Albers. I am... <laughs> I'm uh, in Santa Clara, California. I am a student at Santa Clara University. Annie goes to school in California, but she's from Nebraska. And that's where, a few years ago, she did something that made perfect sense to her at the time. Um, My junior year of high school, I was, uh, like the spring semester, I was in a really dark place. And I was unable to get any of my homework done, any of my schoolwork, just because I was so sad. And my parents were aware of this, and they were very supportive. But my mom obviously was upset that my grades were suffering, and she was worried about my health as well. And so numerous times she'd threatened me with uh, taking the door off of my room. And so was she I, was she threatening to do that be, in order to get you to do your homework, or was she worried you were going to it was attempt like suicide? Definitely a combination. But uh, yeah, so. <laughs> That happened, and I knew it was going to happen, so I started stealing all the screwdrivers in the house, except for one, and I kept this stockpile of screwdrivers in my room. So you'd skitter out of your room, retrieve all the screwdrivers in the house, stash them in your—go back to your room and then hide them. Yes, like I— As people do. (laughs) Yeah, it was like a week's worth of work. Uh So I would like go into the garage, find all the ones in there I could find, like go to the shed, like get all of those. And then I left one in like the most obvious place because I didn't want her to realize I was hiding all of them. Right, cover your tracks. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Annie's grabbing a lot of screwdrivers because she didn't know which one she would need for the project she was planning. So I came home from school one day and my door was taken off and I was like, okay. So now it begins. The door was off of my room, and I was like, this is fine. I hung up a sheet. I pretended like everything was okay. And then that night, I set my alarm for the middle of the night, like 1 in the morning. And I got up, and I took out my screwdrivers and, like, laid them out. And I took 
the door off of the room adjacent to mine, and I hung it on my door frame. Uh, removing yeah. and hanging doors is is cumbersome, it's difficult, and it's it's very heavy. It was hard. <laughs> and so when the family got up the next day, you, you had a, a door after all. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and my mom came upstairs and she was like, you're kidding me. <laughs> and she, I could tell she was like kind of mad, but she wasn't mad because it was just so ingenious. Yeah, and she I had think, to be a little impressed too. Yeah, oh, completely. And she was like, last night I woke up in the middle of the night because I heard like these noises. And I was like, it really sounds like somebody's trying to hang a door. Annie, I have several questions here. Uh, okay. First of all, the door that you took, where did you take it from? What Did you take it from a sibling's room or somebody else's room or what? Um, I like live upstairs in my house and uh, there's a guest bedroom adjacent to mine. Okay. And it's the same size door, I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, what happened to the original door that your mom removed? Was it somewhere you couldn't simply go get it? Uh, yeah, it was uh, downstairs. It was like in the basement. And I was like, I can't, I can't haul this. But that would have been ideal, definitely. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to follow the logic here that makes it such that you can't get out of your room, you can't be bothered to socialize or do your homework, yet you have the energy and the ingenuity to replace a door at one in the morning. That, that doesn't really, like... It, I know it doesn't make any sense. I was just so, I was so motivated to be alone. I just wanted to be alone so bad in just like the most innocent way. I just wanted to be alone. Your chronic mental illness was more powerful than you. It said, well, you know, you can sit here and mope. I'm going to do something about our yeah. situation. It's like, yeah, I was like, I want to stay here with you. Yeah. We're going to get through this together. <laughs> <laughs> Except like the opposite of that. Right, right. I will slowly destroy you alone yeah, in a exactly. room with a door. Well, I, I wonder if it was sort of like a an introverted, depressed person's form of outward bound. Like, okay, I know I can do this, so maybe yes. I'm capable of <laughs> yeah. other things. Exactly, exactly. It was kind of motivating. Like, oh, like, I can hang a door in the middle of the night. Maybe I can write this essay, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Annie says she's doing better now than she has in a long time. Although I should point out that nocturnal carpentry may not work for everyone. Again, find your own path to better mental health. Big thanks to Danielle, Bree, and Annie. I'd love to hear from you as well about your own hilarious or even just slightly amusing experiences with depression. Easiest way to reach me, I've found, is to go to Twitter, where we're at THWOFD. THWOFD. We couldn't do THWOD because there's already a guy named Thwad in the world. Who knew? Direct messages are open at that Twitter account, THW of D, so drop me a line. The Hilarious World of Depression is a production of American Public Media. Chrissy Pease is our producer. Kate Moose is our executive producer. Thanks to Nate Toby. Our recording engineer for this placebo was Veronica Rodriguez. Our technical director was Johnny Vin Sevens. If you need immediate help, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is at 1 800 273 8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Our theme song is called Pagliacci, and it's by our good friend Rhett Miller. Much more about Rhett Miller is available at his website, because that's what websites are for, rhettmiller.com. 
all this month, the whole podcast universe. And yes, there is a universe full of stars and planets and antimatter. And I've extended the analogy further than it should go. Everyone is celebrating something called Tripod. Hashtag T-R-Y pod. Get it? You, and then, Well, no, you don't yet, but I'll explain it. So it's when you try a podcast that you haven't tried before. Or perhaps you try a podcast for the first time ever. You encourage somebody to go out there and listen to a podcast for the first time. You know, I heard like one in five Americans actually listens to podcasts. We can, we can do much better than that. We can get up to like 1.8 out of five, I think. Possibly even further. So I encourage you to listen to new podcasts, try new podcasts, use the hashtag TryPod when you do so, and, and we can all expand our horizons. Some recommendations for you. The Mental Illness Happy Hour, excellent uh, source of, of free and open conversation about mental health and mental illness. Some great podcasts from friends of ours who've been on this particular show. Spontaneation is a podcast that's it's hard to describe, but it is very, very funny. It is created by and stars our good friend Paul F. Tompkins from episode nine and various of his friends. It's improvisatory, improvisational, improvisacular. Anyway, it's really good, and it has improv in it. Also, Jen Kirkman is a good friend of ours. You've heard her on the show. She has a wonderful podcast called I Seem Fun. So those are just a few recommendations. Mental Illness Happy Hour, Spontaneation. I seem fun and fresh air with Terry Gross. Can't go wrong. So do all those, listen to all those, recommend some new ones to me and to your friends. Hashtag tripod. I'm John Moe. Bye now. <laughs>